Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. We are. Colossal Obsessions. You got through all of that, see? Yeah. You give yourself enough credit. <laughs> and we have two guests here for this mini-episode. We have Adam Karsten, who is a, uh, a an historian and obsessed Gilbert Gottfried podcast fan. And we have David Marienthal, who is, what shall we call you, David? Uh, are you, you, are, uh, you are a, a serial entrepreneur. You're a serial, I like that. You're a serial <laughs> entrepreneur and the uh, you are an, an heir, really, to the... Uh, I am heir to the legacy, the of, legacy of, of Mr. Of Kelly's. The Kings of Rush Street right. in Chicago. Right, the Kings of Rush Street in Chicago. The, the, the two gentlemen are working on a documentary about the legendary Mr. Kelly's wow. Supper Club in Chicago, uh, which is great history. We did an episode about the Playboy Clubs. Yes, with uh, Patty Farmer. Have you talked to Patty? By the way, we uh, haven't. We really not. should. She's interesting. Yeah, I know. There's a Hefner connection okay. with with uh, with with oh, uh, there, with you guys. There was a big effort. Hefner collection. Everybody from Mr. Kelly's and Happy Medium, their other cup, went right after the show. Right, right to the mansion. Right, right, right. And so, could could you give us a quick list of some just some of the people? Who've worked there? Well, I know you guys are interested in comedy. <laughs> so every night of the week, and twice every night, and three times on the weekend, they'd have a comic and a uh, and a jazz singer. So we just interviewed. You could have gone in there and seen uh, Robert Klein open for Sarah Vaughan in 1966. Amazing. You could have gone in to see Woody Allen and Nancy Wilson as a double bill. And they couldn't decide who was going to be on the top. So on one side of the sign, it said Nancy Wilson on top. You went down Rush Street the other way. It said, "Oh, it was like uh, when they stacked Paul top. Newman and uh, Steve oh, McQueen oh, in the, yes. the towering Inferno well, credits." Uh, well, well, the wild one is Shelley Berman and Maya Angelou. Oh wow! Played the club in the late fifties. Oh my god! <laughs> they should have toured together when Maya Angelou was a calypso singer. She was, you know, right? She was a singer, and so you know, we—that's part of the fun—is doing the research and finding these wild uh, bills of you know people before they were famous or rising. You know, like Jackie Vernon and Barbara Streisand were well, together. Ah, I found a few since you brought that. You up. got that. I okay. had it. Well, this was something I had on the card, but since you guys brought it up earlier. Uh, these are some of my favorites. Mel Torme and Dick Cavett. Yes. B.B. <laughs> uh, King and David Brenner. That's <laughs> right? a good one. Of course, Erwin Corey and uh, Billy Daniels. Erwin oh. Corey was the first yes. ever guest on this show. Uh, Richard Pryor and Kenny Rogers, which we'll talk about because that's a that's, that's an historic yes, moment. And my personal favorite, Don Adams and the Turtles. Yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I, I should say it's not the rock band, the Turtles. Oh, it wasn't the rock band. I the actually Turtles. got it really excited, but it turned out it was a like a folk satirical duo. Interesting. So, yeah. Still good. Still and, good. And for those out there who don't know Jackie Vernon, <laughs> his main thing he'd have a clicker. Yep. That would he be sh talking like he's showing slides, and he'd go, "Here's some slides for my vacation." <laughs> Here's Manuel leading us around the quicksand. Here we are from the waist up. Here's a bunch of ropes and picks and things. <laughs> <laughs> 
Woody Allen, who you just interviewed for the documentary. Yes. This is this is a partial list. Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, stop me. Uh, Dick Gregory, Red Fox, Moms Mabley played the club. Yeah, well, it looks like she had to cut it short, but she was yes yeah, scheduled to play there. No shit. Uh, that's cool. Joan Rivers, Bill Cosby, uh, George Carlin. We'll talk about mm-hmm. the Smothers Brothers. Dickie's in the documentary. Yes. Uh, Buddy Hackett, LaWanda Page. Oh, my God. Uh, Gilbert Loves, Mike Nichols, and Elaine May, David Steinberg, who was on this show, uh, Rudy Ray Moore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Prince, Rickles, Phyllis Diller, Rodney Dangerfield, Jackie Mason. Wow. Incredible. And and Nick, did I say Nichols and May? I, you said Nichols yeah. May. And you're forget Toadie Fields. Toadie Fields. I mean, Fat we, Jack yeah. Leonard. I mean, you know, it's like we could almost do a subcategory of people who became sitcom stars in the 60s. <laughs> like, you know, uh, Joey Ross played. Oh, Joey Ross played wow. the club. Yeah, yes. you got to tell I knew you. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you, you'd probably appreciate this. Um, I think it came out midway through the first season of Car 54. And so we'll have to show you before we leave, but they advertised every ad was him in character. Uh, you know, you know, uh, from Car 54, and they had him in the police uniform. And we actually have a picture of him and uh, Mayor D- Daly at the time together uh, at the club. <laughs> Mayor Daly and Joey yes. Ross. I think they might have had some common interest. Yeah. Famous degenerate Joey Ross. Yes. Well, let's do a little quick backstory, and, and we're now, talking— Now, but <laughs> I, I wanted to ask because Nat Hyken grew to hate Joey Ross. <laughs> I think a lot of people did. Yeah. So what was what was he like? Was he You know, we I'm desperately digging for something uh wild about him, but all the reviews were very positive. They were. It seemed like it was very, you know, clean act from what I could tell, nothing wild. Um Because you know he dated strippers too and married uh, them. He married, yes, yeah. yes, uh, yeah. ladies of the night. And hookers. Yes. Yeah. Uh but uh yeah, we. Uh, he's somebody. I just wish I could find something crazier about well, him. I, I gotta. I told the story before. I don't want to take up your time. <laughs> no, but they were like Paul Malov or whoever, or Johnson and Johnson were the sponsors of Car Fifty Four, and the top execs came to the Car Fifty Four set. Every one of the cast shook their hands. Thank, nice meeting you, sir or ma'am. And then they were taken to Joey Ross, and the door to his dressing room was open, and Joey Ross was sitting there jerking off. (laughs) (laughs) Adam Adam knows where that story's going because he's because yeah. I'm I'm not going to spoil it. I'm proud to say that he's listened to every episode of this show. (laughs) This this man. We have to give you props. Yeah, no, I'm still mentally stable and uh, functioning. <laughs> yeah, Adam reached Fairly. out to me. He's a fan of the podcast. Yes. He reached out to me. He was telling me about the Mr. Kelly's project, and obviously that's why they're here. But give us a little backstory, David. Your uncle and your dad. My uncle and opened my the dad opened a uh, coffee shop, Greasy Spoon, across the river from the Tribune and Sometimes Tower uh, in 19, after the war. They right. came back. And, right, right. My uncle had inherited this uh, greasy spoon from another family member, and they turned it into the London House, which was a very elegant restaurant, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, catering to the then the really center of the madman crowd, which was in Chicago much more than New York. Sure. With the martini lunches and so on. In 1953, they came over to the Embers Club here in uh, 
New York and decided they were going to open a piano jazz bar with the likes of Oscar Peterson, Errol Garner, uh, all the jazz. Bobby Short the, played there and all those Bobby people. Bobby Short yeah. played there and uh, McCoy Tyner, uh, all the great instrumental jazz clubs. So they had the London House going strong with Make a Date with the Steak was their, their byline. The bar would fill up at noon and then just keep going to the hours when all the jazz came on. So in 1953, they went further north and changed a donut shop into the Mr. Kelly's. which On was Rush a, Street. Which Rush Street and Rush Street was a really uh, eclectic mix, to say the least, of strip clubs, uh, jazz joints, coffee shops, adult bookstores. And they opened this club that had a small piano bar. Uh, in 1953, it burned down right. or it burned out, and they remodeled it with a full stage, twice as big. And uh, that's when people like Audrey Morris started there. Audrey Morris, who we Audrey. just lost a couple yes, of weeks ago. Lost. We were and lucky to interview her. We, yes. We interviewed her. She was still playing the piano with a cigarette between her lips. And uh, and they started this policy of, uh, you know, one singer and one comic every who, single whose night. Whose idea was that? Now, you're, I heard uh, you say your, your, your father handled the food and your uncle right, was kind uncle of the schmoozer. My uncle Oscar was really the empresario. He had right. backed a couple of shows on Broadway and... Uh, Loved entertainer. Love, uh, I just uh, last year met with Barbara Carroll, who was here at the Carlisle for many years. Mm-hmm. And she she was the piano. Oscar would have the entertainers out to his home in, in, in Flossmoor. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald uh, was there, cut an album in 1958 there, wore the pearls that uh, Oscar gave her wow. every day. Uh, over 30 albums were cut at... Uh, and Mr. Kelly's and London House. Uh, well, I heard that your uncle and your dad had, a, had an eye for talent. They definitely had an eye for talent. They signed uh, Barbara Streisand, the Smothers Brothers. How about that? Uh, in, in one week. And who's, Woody Allen. Whose idea was it to, 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 to pair up a, a comedian and a musician? Because that became the That became the, the signature you know, the thing. And, the, you know, it is so much different than the you know, the comedy clubs of today where, you know, you had to be a purist and just listen to comedy. All sure. Night. Sure. And, uh, I think it was really a, you know, a style of the, uh, of the old time nightclubs like that. There were other clubs in town, the Chez Paris, the Empire Rome. And, uh, you know, they always had a, an opening act. This was a full, a full night of entertainment. Oscar Peterson, Errol Garner, Dave Brubeck, Bobby Short, Cannonball Adderley. Mm-hmm. Did Neil Hefty play the club? Yes. Do I have that right? Yeah. Gilbert's Wait, obsessed with Neil oh, Hefty. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Batman theme. Yes. The yeah. odd uh, couple yeah. theme. Yes. He's a jazz guy. Yeah. All yeah. the all the greats. Yeah. He played. I mean, that was one when I saw that I freaked out because I knew who he was uh, yeah. instantly growing up a Batman fan. From obsessing uh, well, uh, about and you this guys, show. Yeah. And, <laughs> and even a lesser remembered film, um, How to Murder Your Wife. Sure. Jack, Jack Lemmon. Lemmon. Yeah. Right. Right. And he, that was a great theme. Well, and then um, we have Barry Manilow. Wow. That's that was, right. That was, yes. That's what we did with Barry Manilow uh, opened, was, Bar- was uh, Bette Midler. That was the name you forgot. I forgot Bette, Barry Bette, Manilow and Bette Midler. And Bette Midler. So and you got it, Bruce Valanche to, 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 we to take part Bruce, in the documentary. Which, yeah, would right. be uh, great for you guys. Uh, we just booked him. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, we're trying we're to book him to be for him. a while. We just locked him in. Oh, oh yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah, yeah we he was. Uh, he was great. a Chicago Tribune beat writer. He covered um, 
the nightlife of, of Rush Street back then. And he actually, you know, was friends with the Marienthals, was always at the clubs. And uh, he actually made his debut on stage at Mr. Kelly's as a stand-up. And that's where he first met Bette Midler. So, I mean, it was like a big meeting place and uh, kind of uh, stepping stone for, you know, Valanche. It seems like it was important for a lot of people's careers. Well, that was, connections yeah, that that was really what, I mean, that's the type of synergy. Because that really, you know, he, as you know, Bette became his. Of course. His muse, or he was Bet's muse, or however you look at it, right, and it right, was a right. lifelong association. Absolutely, but so, but so many people. You worked with with Valange many times. Oh yeah, yeah on Hollywood Squares. Yeah, on Hollywood Squares. Oh yeah, yeah. he was like the top right there. Truly uh, hilarious guy. Yeah, very so, crazy guy. So this was your family business, and you were a kid in the club. Now I heard you say you were twelve years old when you saw Streisand on stage. I, Do I, I have that I, right? They t- you know, that was usually you know because. The London House was somewhat of a more family place. We used to go more for the Sunday show at the London House, and I used to get dressed up, and my mom would put us in sweaters and slick our hair back. But every once in a while, we got to go to Mr. Kelly's, and Barbara Streisand was one of those. I mean, when about you know, that? she came into town, and within you know minutes, uh, Irv Cups in it was writing, you know, you know, fantastic show, and she Cups. was a couple yes. yeah. <laughs> And uh, so everybody had to get down there. And, you know, she just walked on stage and she was this little wife of a girl. Uh, I don't know if I should say, you know, and she well, opened her mouth and everybody, uh, you know, everybody, uh, you know, knew that you were in the presence of genius. About that. But yeah. my uncle looked at her at her headshot that this talent booker that we uh, that we booked in, Arlene Rothberg brought to, brought to him and says, mm. why am I going to hire this little, you know, this Ugly looking Jewish girl. Why would I hire? Her? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, it, it it's funny too though because it was literally she played the club right before she launched, like right before. You know, she, I think she had released her first album and had only been a few months when she played nice, Kelly's, huh? and so it was like right, fortunate timing, right? And they actually had her on a contract that she bu- eventually would you know buy out because she skyrocketed right after yeah, that. She was one of the few. That was my my father's. Uh, modus operandi, where yeah. he would he would sign these unknown talent with you know at a, at five hundred dollars a week. Sure, uh, that's what Woody Allen. I went five hundred dollars a week. And that's seven shows. Yeah, uh, and uh, then he'd get them you know to sign for options. And Barbara Streisand, I guess, was one of the few that uh, ever bought out her option. About that, yeah, and it's because they were you know treated them so well. You of know? course, they were. Gilbert would have loved it. They fed you there for free. <laughs> good food. Uh, good, good food, too. Very they famous for their about food. about food. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, they treated the—I mean, we haven't heard one bad story about the Marienthals, and especially in an era when, uh, let's say, you know, club owners were less than scrupulous. Uh, you know, uh, they treated them well. They paid them well. They were just a very safe, uh, you know— uh, they create a very safe working environment. So I think that's why they kept these people and they just stayed for multiple engagements like a Woody Allen, mm-hmm. who was already a star by 67, was you know already in movies and stuff, but was still playing this you know, 300-seat theater in Chicago. I think you just missed out, Gilbert, because the oh. club closed in 75. Wow. Had, it prob- had, yeah. had you guys, had the club stayed open another four or five years, I bet Gilbert would have played it. Yeah. Well, we would have loved he, to have you. That yeah. would have been would a, have stayed open, another though. star that was launched. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And now back to the show. Now, um, what about, were there any stories about performers who were more difficult 
Well, should we tell the story I stand? I, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, it's a bad story necessarily. Um, the one, uh, Clark Weber, who is a famous DJ on WLS we interviewed. Um, supposedly, I think it was, it was a rainy night, it was bad weather, and they were worried that there wasn't going to be a, a full house. And uh, she, uh, what was it? She didn't want it. She was, well, she refused. She Said she's not going on. Right. You can get seats, you know. So they went out. Yeah, they went out with vouchers. My father literally was going out on the street and uh, and his PR agent with free drink tickets to get people in. (laughs) Pay for the house for Streisand. To see Could You couldn't do that now. No, you couldn't do that She was a prima donna before she was even a a prima donna. Everybody starts somewhere. Right, that's right. How about that? No, it it sounds like, though, for the most part, um, you know, we heard some stories about maybe Stan Getz when he played London House, uh, kind of wandering out, maybe in a stupor of some sort. Okay. Uh, we interviewed well, one these of these were the, jazz musicians, yeah. right? Of course. Uh, you know, they were, you know. Well, there were, you know, certainly, because the crowd was a real mix. Right. Uh, you know, several say, oh, it was a hip crowd, but it was also a lot of businessmen, loud conventioneers that had been drinking. And so you really had to have a... Uh, a repartee with, you know, ways to your audience. And then, you know, and then there were some the occasional mobsters that would, would come in. Oh, tell us about and, that. Because uh, uh, that's well, Gilbert. Gilbert. That's catnip <laughs> to Gilbert. Well, you know, believe it or not, they were um, maybe one of the few clubs that we can find no mob ties to anything. They were, you know, clean, um, independent, um, uh, you know, businessmen in the in the world where it was mostly mob run, as you know, sure, we all know. Sure. But there was definitely some mobsters that we've we've heard stories about, you know, showing up with their gumas and, you know, <laughs> in the crowd. There was, one, there was one that was <laughs> in the front row, and yeah. I think they were giving, uh, was it Bob Newhart a hard time? I believe so, yeah. And uh, and so Bob Newhart started to, you know, heckle back to this, this customer. And then as he was going out, you know, the maitre d' Max said, you do not heckle back to yeah. that uh, to oh, that crowd. Wow! How about that? <clears throat> How about that? Yeah, because it's interesting. We've had so many guests on the show. Willie Tyler was just here talking about mob owned clubs, yeah. and they 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 insisted on clean material, which we kind yeah. of find uh, yes. strangely ironic. Would they would Gilbert. kill people, but <laughs> dirty words. They were yeah. yeah, keep it clean. Yeah. But, well, we've heard that you know the Marienthal brothers, you know, were able to keep it clean. Number one, because they didn't borrow money to, from the mob to get into it. Right. But you always had to do uh, business. I mean, the linens, meat suppliers, liquor suppliers. Sure, sure. The, Performers uh, unions. The unions that, yeah. that's, that supplied the hat check girls and the restroom attendants. And my father, in fact, testified in, in front of uh, Bobby Kennedy in 1958 in the House Committee on Organized Crime and Labor. Good stuff, David. And, and yes. talked about uh, how the, the union pressured him to sign up members. How about that? Uh, yeah. But they didn't. They didn't take any role. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't interfere with the content of the comedians. I mean, you probably had a couple of comics in there that worked a little bit blue. Uh, oh well, this was the whole transition. I mean, Lenny Bruce was there, right? Uh, so certainly say. at that time when he Red got, Fox too? Red Fox. Red, yeah. yeah. When Red, he got, yeah. when, you know, of course he, Lenny Bruce got arrested for use, making a joke about nuns. Right. Which today would have been, you know, yeah. regular fare. The Gate of Horn in 62. Right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, but but your, the, your, your uncle and your dad didn't, uh, they didn't insist on any particular kind of. Well, there was, have, there was a story the, about how, uh, well, Richard Pryor came in in his early days 
and he was much more a Bill Cosby type right. family act. Yeah. Right. And then 1968 uh, happened, which right. well, Adam will tell you the event about it, but he totally changed into the oh, into the Richard Pryor that prior, that we prior, know of. That's and in at the that bl- point, that's in my the father did have, uh, you know, he did not know if his customers were going to, you know, accept this type of humor. Oh, yeah, tell it, Gilbert his, what, where he yeah. was, where, what what. What, well, what night Pryor was playing the club? His arc at Mr. Kelly's is fascinating in general, but uh, and we can get more into the Marienthal story. But we should maybe probably start with, um, you know, it was April fourth, uh, nineteen sixty eight, was the night MLK was assassinated, and that's the night Richard Pryor was playing Mr. Kelly's with Kenny Rogers and uh, the first the edition. first edition yep. were his openers. And I believe. Did you it, know that that Pryor wow. was playing Mr. Kelly's the night that uh, Martin Luther King was shot? Wow. Yes, and you know, as the it's in Furious Cool, which is a great book about him, and uh, Nestor Hoff's great book, The Comedians. Yeah, Cliff, Cliff talks about it. Yeah, uh, you know, it's covered fairly wide, widely, but you know, we did some more research, and it, it seems uh, the gist of it is he was on stage when word came in that MLK was assassinated, and uh, what happened then? Jeff Wald, who was also working at the club. Um, the two of them just drove around Chicago all night as it burned down, smoking weed, uh, just kind of ruminating on where their lives were, where the nation was going, and, you know, kind of like this uh, come-to-Jesus moment. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, it seems like everybody points to that that assassination as being the moment where Richard Pryor became radicalized, became a new man. I mean, there was, you know, he was reading, you know— um, a lot of political, um, you know, works and, you know, somewhat involved more, you know, but not really. And his, his act was naturally clean. But then that's where after, you know, after that uh, engagement happened, he started to change over the next uh, Interesting. To year and, you know, became more political. And there was that notorious, I think it was a Hollywood Bowl show where he, you know, started, you know, cursing and, you know, you don't give a shit if a cop kills your kid or it was some, something to yeah. that matter. And it would yeah. shock people. Yep. But then he would come to Kelly's again. I think it was New Year's. He played New Year's Eve almost like through the late 60s into 1970. I think it was 69-70, if I'm not mistaken, was he was scheduled to appear or 70-71. No, I think it was 69-70. And he shows up uh, or he's going to show up and uh, David's father, George, calls and says, well, you know, I've heard you kind of have some, you know, new material and we just, you know, maybe hope that you would play the way you played before, uh, which was, you know, it's, it's, you know, we don't know what happened. You know, we weren't there, but between newspaper reports and other interviews uh, from Richard even himself, there was just a disagreement on what each entity wanted. I see. Because, you know, while I think the Marienthal's, I mean, I'm sure Dave would agree, they really brought cutting-edge comedy to these clubs, but there was just maybe something well, about this Both Lenny time. Bruce and Mort well, Saul and all yeah, those people I mean, would be you guys probably edge. can add more light than, than I know. I, I'm still trying to figure out how, you know, a Mort Saul, yeah. who, you know, really cut his teeth at Mr. Kelly's and would come mm-hmm. back once or twice a year with his, you know, the start of political humor. Right, right, that right. That was very critical of our Yes. Society would play to a, a house of, of businessmen and yeah. conventioneers along with this hip audience. I mean, how at that point, how did that all 
well, yeah. all fit you, together. And, and as you guys are peeling the layers of the onion and getting deeper right. and deeper into making the documentary, you're discovering more of these things. You're discovering yes. more about 20th century comedy. Yeah. Not just uh, what happened at Mr. Kelly's, but how these people changed. Right. You know, and really how, you know, Mr. Kelly's was like a pipeline from, it was almost like the middle point between, you know, the bitter end on the East Coast and let's say the hungry eye on the West Coast. It was that same circuit. You know, they were traveling that. So it was like that same ebb and flow and kind of tracking of all these, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, the Vegas acts and stuff. They were all the same acts. And so you get this, this kind of, um, you know, the, the giants of this era were just all passing through here. And so, yeah, you really see like what you're saying is you see the changes, you see the evolutions and everything. And, you know, I think for instance, like with Richard Pryor, I just think he was just being so out there and brave at that time. And this is right before, like, him and Carlin, you figure, really Both of them broke out. Yeah, which changes. Carlin also played the club. And, you and know. Carlin also came in as a very straight. So you got yeah, both Carlins? To, you, got the, and, you got the button down oh, yeah, Carlin? Oh, yeah. Whole, yeah, that was back when he was the hippy-dippy weatherman. Well, right? well, exactly. You know, he, did, he didn't come. I don't think he came back once uh, post, um, post-transition. Interesting. But. I can say that playing Mr. Kelly's was a very important night. Uh, was a very a very important thing happened there. He dropped acid for the first time while in Chicago during an engagement. <laughs> wow! At Mr. Kelly's, so like it's another oh. another comedian who was at Kelly's during a very important crossroad uh, in their life. He he in his book, I think it's Last Words. He says, you know, he read in his diary just one word that day: acid. You know, so the, the, Tony, the book that Tony Hendra put together. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He he dropped acid at Mr. Kelly's for the first time. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now, how was, what was that show like when he was on acid? Well, I don't think he did it during a show. We'll, we'll it was know. while, while in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in Chicago performing it. It's Kelly's. interesting. So, you know what I mean? It was like, he was there as the clean cut and, you know, we have ads where it's, you know, he looks like a, like a businessman. Well, talk get, to Kelly Carlin and see what she knows. I, I sent her. Yeah, we're <laughs> we reaching just, out. We, yes. uh, we connected them. Well, we oh. connected these gentlemen to Kelly. Yes. Oh. So they can find out what Again, Kelly we knows. We know that, that there were certainly, you know, things going on in the dressing room of, of Kelly's, whether it be pot smoking I, or. I have or, a good one, actually. Um, Gilbert will love this one. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't tape this person, but we were working with Loyola University and they did some oral histories with us. And. One of the subjects who was a musician at London House told us a story about how Bob Crane and the cast of Hogan's Heroes showed up. Oh. And we're, Gilbert, this is catnip for you. This, this is good. You don't even have to talk any further. This is on, already Gilbert. a great uh, story. No, but so they all show up at London House, maybe, you know, three sheets to the wind, you know, kind of having the fun night. They go backstage with the musicians and are smoking pot in the back room uh, at the London House uh, in between shows. So this this musician, I think, was like 17 at the time. And, you know, he grew up watching Hogan's Heroes. Like I, it was, you know, early 70s. Sh- or the show was like on its last leg, sure, maybe sure. last season. So, I mean, could you imagine growing up with, you know, Hogan and all the guys showing up and smoking weed with you as a teenager <laughs> at London House? <laughs> Unbelievable. We're going to stop, and I'll tell you why, because this is so good, and I knew we weren't going to cover it in good. one episode. 
So yeah. we'll 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 knock out two of these because right. we're just we're just yeah. starting to get to the good stuff. Starting to scratch the surface. Do you remember the old uh, prior too that he was when he was oh, doing college? Oh yeah, he was, he was like yeah. a Cosby clone. Yeah, he was like before, Cosby Junior. Before he went through that. And and yeah, George Carlin was in a suit, clean shaven. Both of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can talk Cosby too. Well, we'll. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I, we may devote a whole episode. There's, okay, there's no way to squeeze this into 30 minutes, so we'll 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 stop here and uh, and we'll do another one next week. So sign us off, Mr. G. Why don't you? Okay, this has been another episode of uh, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And you know their names. You have them written down. <laughs> do, I, do I dare hold them up and let you take a shot at it? Here we go. Okay. Okay. There's. Okay, one. I'm going to try this. Okay, here's a big right. finish. Okay. There's one on the left. Fuck, this is a whole novel. No, just that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been talking to... Adam Carlson. No. Adam Carlson. See, I told you. Very good. I fucking told you. I couldn't do this. Adam Carson. I warned you. We've been talking to take 57. Adam Carson. You got it. Carson with a T. Ah, we've been talking to. This is why to, he gets the big bucks. Yeah, yes. We've been talking to Adam Carson. Okay, now try this one. Impossible. Fucking impossible. <laughs> David. Uh-huh. <laughs> Give it your best shot. Oh, Christ. <laughs> David Mafiven. <laughs> David. Nobody's going to forget David. That's the biggest honor so to have him break into Jerry <laughs> All right, we've been yeah. talking to David Marienthal <laughs> and Adam Karsten, and uh, we're going to come back and do this next week and continue the hilarity. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll see you next week. Don't come on back. <laughs> Colossal Obsessions.